Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. So, Garth, Garth Jordan, not your typical CEO. I'm not? No. Most what is, CEOs. What is typical? I would say that in the veterinary industry, at least, it hasn't been super common to see the CEO of AHA um, giving his, his plenary in jeans or- Or Lululama. Lulu I mean, lemon. Yes. Or Lululemon. <laughs> Someone asked me, what are you wearing? And I said, I'm wearing Lululemon on the red carpet, of course. Of course. So I mean, you dressed up. That that is dressed up. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, you are it's not just that you're not wearing, you know, the 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 suit with the right, tie. Right, the, the tie. The right. tie is very choky. Shiny shoes. Very choky. Yeah. You're very uptight. You're also your leadership style is also reflective of your laid back wardrobe. Oh, not choky and uptight. Not choky and uptight. That's <laughs> not right. choky and uptight leader. Not choky. Thank no. You. you let your people do what they're good at and you check in sometimes is how it feels. I, I try. I like that. I, I really, Aww. I love that style because um, it gives it gives people confidence that they have somebody helping to support them, but also the independence to do their jobs and not feel like they're being micromanaged. That's very kind that you notice that. And you know, it, can I prelim my uh, speech tomorrow yeah. in this podcast, even yeah. though no one would know that that's no what I'm doing? No one's going to hear it till after. Right. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were just going to stop there and say no one's going to hear it. Oh, yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. Garth, this is the worst podcast ever. Um, so uh, uh, I was reading this article, and I shared it with you from the Harvard Business Review about yeah. why people love their jobs. Mm -hmm. And there were three things that uh, kept coming out of this article for me. And one was that um, there's kind of trust in all dimensions or all directions, I guess you might say. Uh, from from leadership to you know the rest of the employees and vice versa from employees to leadership and kind of in any any way you might connect all of those people. This is just trust, right? That's yeah. one big thing. The other one was, uh, of course, people feel like they're part of a team. They're not a cog in a machine, right? Yeah. I think that's that's truly important. One way you feel like you're part of a team. Trust me, I'm going to get to a point in a second. One way you feel like you're part of a team is you know. Uh, what your contributions give to the team yeah. and to the organization. But the third one is, I think, kind of where you're going, and that is I get to be an individual. Even So it, it feels a little like contradictory, but I get to be myself while I'm part of the team. So, And, and the message in there was I have skills, abilities, desires to, to contribute in the things that I'm passionate about. And if if I can do that, I can be my best self while I'm contributing to a team. And when I, when I read that, I actually realized, oh, I hated like the first five jobs I ever had. Mm. I absolutely despised them. And I thought there were, there were certain reasons why I didn't like them. Like I had to wake up too early. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're 22, that, that makes right. a big That's deal. A factor, or I didn't make yeah. enough money, which is probably true. But there were many, many reasons that I thought I hated them. And when I read that article, like way too late in life, 35 years, 40 years later, whatever, um, I realized, wait a minute, I didn't like my job because I didn't get to be my best individual self while I was contributing a team to a team that recognized what my contributions were. I couldn't see how I was contributing. 
And so therefore it was really hard to kind of build all this trust. Those three things all kind of compiled on each other. So what you just said, um, just like strikes home for me, a, not just because the article, but B, as I reflect on my career, I've been in that position Mm -hmm. where I didn't like a job or I didn't feel like I was getting to be my individual self. And how could you turn around and do that to anybody? Yeah. Makes no sense to me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness all my jobs sucked. Thank goodness that you realized that by the time you you came to be CEO. Right. (laughs) Um, Because I, I told one of the board members last night, you know, this is the happiest I've ever been at a job. And I don't think I would have realized that um, because I didn't realize I was unhappy before. Um, I thought that was just how it was at jobs. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, I was the same way. So uh, it, one example, I worked in an environmental chemistry lab. And so it was one of my first jobs. And I, um, I had to wake up at three in the morning to be in the lab at four, from four to one. I had very highly, highly repetitive tasks. Um, I basically prepped the same type of water sample every day for an entire year. And then the what I thought was the worst part of the job is I worked five days on, two days off, 10 days on, four days off, 15 days on, six days off, and 15 days on at 3 a.m. That's a lot. That's, that's really, really hard, yeah. especially for a 22-year-old who yeah. wants to have a nightlife, right? Right. And uh, um, when, I, when I reflect on all that, again, that's not why I didn't like my job. I thought it was, uh, this is just what people do. Yeah. You like, know? Well. Well, Party's over. there you go. Uh, um, I've played this game since I was 51. Now I'm 56, but I've played this game since I was 51 where someone says, how old are you? And I say, well, I'm closing in on 60 <laughs> because I want them to look at me and say, dang, you look good. <laughs> and now that, I've, now that I'm 56, I'm like, I'm like, I ain't working so good anymore. They're like, yeah, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really just no good way to approach those conversations, better just, yeah. But yeah, I think it's all, you know, in attitude. <laughs> yeah. When they say, How old are you? I'm like, Well, I love Metallica <laughs> and the Red Hot and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? Yeah, yeah. And I just don't tell them when I saw them first in concert. That's all. Yeah. I, I'm, I like to say I'm a year younger than Star Wars. <gasps> That's a good one. Yeah. But my parents <laughs> are pretty into Star Wars. So I watched that for me. I'm a Star age. Wars geek. Yeah. I, I told you my Star Wars story. I don't have to tell you this podcast. Maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> Maybe how I ruined how I ruined an original Star Wars tape trying oh. to trying to dub in a marriage proposal to my wife. That might be the most Garth Jordan thing I could imagine. Do you, want me to, do you want me to tell you the story now, just for fun, since we're recording? Yes, I do. And you can decide whether you want to use this. I or mean, not. part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I wanted people to know that Aha is run by real people. Right. So you're being real. Okay. So I'll be real for a second. So. Uh, um, I won't tell you about the divorce that got me to this point in time, but, uh, that's I mean, another that's, story. That's, a whole other that's actually a really good story. <laughs> and I, I will absolutely share that one with the world. But I ran into, uh, my now wife who I had known since childhood. And, uh, this was after my first wife and we were divorced obviously. And so we ran into each other and, um, we went and had some drinks together to talk about our exes to really talk, you know, smack about exes bond and, and just bond over hatred. Oh yeah. Cause hatred is, you know, strong bond. We never talked about them. So of <laughs> course we hit it off just like we had when we were, when we were kids. And three months later, I actually, sorry, two months later, I was uh, wanting to propose. She 
was a teacher and she was off uh, doing a, uh, an expedition with her kids in the mountains for like a week. So during that week, I went and I bought the ring and I did all the stuff. And then I'm thinking about oh, how do I want to propose? I want to make it kind of kind of fun. And we're Star Wars geeks. So I took uh, Empire. No, wait a minute. When does Yoda die? The third one, right? Yoda passes away oh, in the third. Spoiler one. alert. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, spo- <laughs> sorry, guys. For those who haven't seen it. So anyway. Um, so we're kind of. Wait, was it the third one? Second one. Second one. No, third one. Second one. Dude, we're the worst Star Wars I geeks know. ever. You're supposed to know when Yoda dies. We can't publish this. I know. We're gonna get hate mail. I know. Okay, everyone. We we actually know. We're just doing this. We're for just gonna cut that part. dramatic, dramatic fashion here. <laughs> okay, so I take the video, and I'm like, I know my wife will be watching this video because we're we're Star Wars. We love watching the trilogy, the original trilogy, right? So we decide to watch the trilogy, and I I know she will always watch the scene when Yoda passes away because Yoda's her favorite character, etc. Right. And I say, okay, I can dub in over Yoda's death a video of me proposing. Okay. So, yes, I ruined that videotape, but it will be ruined in the best way forever. It will be ingrained in VHS (laughs) forever. (laughs) Forever. And we will watch it forever because there will always be VHS tapes. So that's what I did. And I swear I did it right. And it was beautiful. And it was the most heartfelt proposal ever. And we get into the room and we're watching the tape. And I've got the ring, you know, in the crevice of the couch. And we're waiting. And Yoda's death comes up. And all of a sudden, it's cars for everyone. (laughs) I accidentally taped Oprah. <laughs> when I was taping, I was taping Oprah doing one of her cars for everyone. And you get a car and you get a car and the whole audience is going crazy. I'm like, where, where, where's my proposal? And my wife looks at me and is like, what happened to our VHS tape? So then I told her this entire story that I'm you telling you now. I told her this entire story and I ended with the proposal and I gave her the ring and she just looks at me. She's like, yes. <laughs> that was, and, and that, and, and that and was pretty much doing it. that ever since then. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh God. That's a, that's a great story. I'm, I mean, it wasn't a car. It was a fantastic <laughs> failure. Yeah. Right. A failure, but you got married. We got married and we've been married for 22 years. We've known each other for, uh, 40, 44 years. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's really amazing. <laughs> it's a fantastic failure. It is. Yeah. It's a failure, but also a really cute story. Like if it had gone yeah. well, it would be an okay story. Right. It, yeah. That was cool. They'd you like, you really? proposed in the middle and you, but you taped over Star Wars, Garth. Like what's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah. It's still, that's still bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's still bad. But this way, at least you were foiled by the universe. <laughs> so <laughs> right. the universe, the universe said too. never, ever this try to take over Yoda. The way you think it's going to. <laughs> uh, so Garth, I brought you here to talk about veterinary medicine. Oh, is that what we're here for? <laughs> but, okay. But I've enjoyed these stories. Yeah. I like getting to know you better. And I do feel like that is a model that we're seeing more of in veterinary medicine is leadership starting to be more um, accessible. You know, I sure. worked for clinics where the owner was the owner, you know, and you weren't going to question decisions and you wasn't going to be a committee 
about mm. anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one person making the decisions and there really, it really wasn't open for debate. If there was a debate, it wasn't going to go anywhere. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, that's not to say that's a bad thing for some people that works really well. It did not work well for me. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. I like being treated like I have a voice, even if it's not the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you gave me a microphone, so <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, no, no taking that back. <laughs> no taking it back. It's mine now. But um, but I I do think that's a model we're starting to see a little bit more of, you know. And you have shown it at Aha that you want to really explore what servant leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. You have skip level meetings with teams that don't involve our bosses, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that we can talk to you about what's going on in our own in our own teams and feel like we're, we could be a little more honest about it. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that approach so much. And I think there's a lot that the industry in general can, can do within vet clinics to have that same type of structure that they don't. And we don't think about sometimes vet clinics being organizations. We think about them, right. we talk, call them families, you know, sure. say they're like families, but they're organizations, they're workplaces. And that structure is there, even if it's a tiny staff. Right. And I, I just wonder, like, I know we're doing a lot of initiatives at AHA where we talk about culture and workplace, you know, psychological safety and stuff like that. And it's all part of that. But like, what do you think that small or medium sized vet clinics that think of themselves as more of a work family than like an organization like AHA, what can they learn from what larger companies spend a lot of time and resources trying to figure out? Um, That's an interesting question. So if I was to say something negative about families, it's that everyone has their own dysfunction anyway. Yeah. So just saying we're a family doesn't solve any potential current or future dysfunctional problems. Right. right? And many people in vet med know this on a personal level. Right. And I've been, I've been in small companies of five to 12 to, you know, 18 people myself. And I've seen it. I've been part of it. I've probably contributed to it. In fact, I'll say, I know I've contributed to it, right? It, it's a, uh, so that dysfunction happens and whether you like it or not. So I'm a, I'm a big believer. Like if, if there's one thing I tell people, I truly believe that the, uh, and, and these are not my original words. I can't remember where I heard them. So I can't give the person attribution, but, uh, that the, but I'm a big believer that the culture you create is the culture you tolerate. So if you think about it that way, what it really means is the culture, who you are as an organization requires active and purposeful design and contribution to that culture. So the, the best way I see it happening, small or large, I go back to what you and I were kind of talking about earlier, and that is you got to let individuals truly be who they are and contribute in the ways that, that, that motivate them. And, uh, cause all of us have things that we love to do. Mm-hmm. And if you, if they can contribute in the ways that motivate them and see how those contributions make a difference, that is, that is just a huge, huge hurdle. And I go back to a couple of things. Um, I think about my daughters are, are 20 and 22. So, uh, you know, they're the age of, you know, a lot of the current or, you know, almost workforce now, right? And their experience in school, number one, was completely different than mine. 
they were in group projects all of the time. I was never in group projects ever throughout all of my schooling. I hated group projects. Right. I don't okay. Know what that says about right. me. Right. No, no, no. That's okay. Right. <laughs> it's not whether you loved or hated it. Mm-hmm. It's that they're used to having a voice in the project. So you're you're building that. Yeah. You're you're they're used to having a voice in the project. So if you think about how schools are are working today, maybe not all schools, but many of them, they're contributing. They want to point to contribute. And it's our job, you know, as as the individuals who are in organizations, whether we're running them or not, is to think about the that that there are differences in uh, diversity is not just diversity in race and sexual orientation, et cetera. It's also diversity in how we were brought up in our education. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's to, to me, that's something that we've got to be thinking about and actively, actively designing around and helping people find that path towards contribution. So whether you're a five person, 15 person or 500 person organization, I think that's your duty. Yeah. And diversity makes you stronger, right? So in all, in all dimensions mm-hmm. of the word. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we, I'm going to wrap up now. So okay. Before I let you go, the theme of Connexity, where we are right now, is create a better world. Right. And you've already spoken on what that means to you, but can you give us maybe a one or two sentence summary of what a better world in veterinary medicine looks like to you? Well, I, I kind of spoke about it a little bit today, which mm-hmm. your audience didn't hear, but I believe as I've experienced veterinary medicine that we can become a lot more connected as a community. And that creates empathy for each other, for our customers. There's plenty of empathy for the pets, I think, but for each other and the connectedness we make, whether we make that through uh, um, our educational practices, whether we make that through, make it through coming to conferences, there's a connectedness that's, that is, I think, I won't say 100% missing, but we can grow it, we can foster it, and uh, um, the, this ecosystem needs um, our, uh, our our veterinarians, our vet techs, and our teams to be connected with each other and to learn from each other. Like connectedness, though, you really one word sums it up. Though yeah. is more connected or connectedness, and that I think that's really special because um, we do feel kind of fragmented right now, and putting efforts towards that. Um, so that we can at least be intentional about keeping it, keeping the gaps from broadening. Uh, uh, the, the word intentional, yeah. you know, purposeful, mm-hmm. et cetera. You've, you've got to actively seek out yeah. being connected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and it's, it, 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 what I would say is it takes time, but it pays off in the long run and saves you time. Yeah. So. Thank you, Garth. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.